its flow, and this is my impression of a beat poet. Name. Name your. Name your price. Ah, a tool, an idea, an inspiration. To do more than just say what you want to pay. Oh, no. But to see the options that could fit your budget. Steve. Steve, enough bongos. Find car insurance that fits your budget at Progressive.com. Makes me want to dance. Steve! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello again, everyone. I'm Joe Longinusa, welcoming you to another edition of Next on the T with Chris Mascaro. The show where industry leaders, golf professionals, and legends all come and discuss the great game we love so much. So without further ado, let's turn it over to our host to tell us who's next on the tee. Chris, take it away. Hey, thank you, Joel. Thank you, Joel. Hello, Hello, everybody, and happy Father's Father's Day. A day day early to all the wonderful dads, stepdads, grandfathers listening in out there. We really appreciate you uh, tuning into today's Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. For everybody here on uh, Next on the Tee, we hope you're having a great day today and an even better day tomorrow. Thank you, everybody, uh, for listening into a special edition, really, of Next on the Tee. We're coming to you a little bit later this week. I'm, uh, I've got the privilege of playing and the uh, and the member guest with my father this Father's Day weekend. Uh, we got an early tea time this morning. Got out early, uh, one under par, not bad. Uh, guys and guys that we were playing with were making things left and right. Finished sixth under today in our flight. So guys were draining putts from 30, 40 feet. Not much you can do about that. But I will tell you what, folks, you know you have an opportunity to get out this Father's Day and play along uh, along with your dad or your grandfather or the uh, the male that's uh, most important in your life. Uh, please take advantage of it. You're going to love it, and it's going to be a memory that you're going to treasure forever. So today I have the opportunity to share three wonderful guests with you. Uh, First up is going to be Scott Felix. Scott was named one of the top 100 club fitters in the country by Golf Digest. And, uh, you know, from uh, our offline conversation a couple of weeks ago, this guy knows everything there is to know about club fitting, plus the golf swing in general. Uh, I'll talk with Scott about why it's important for players of all levels to get their clubs fit and not just uh, something for the better players when he joins me here in just a few moments. Following Scott, I'll I'll talk with uh, PGA Tour Superstore Chief Marketing Officer Matt Corey. I'm privileged to have uh, had now both the PGA Superstore CEO, PGA Superstore CEO Dick Sullivan, and now Matt Corey join me over the last couple of weeks. As I said to both of them, and I mean this sincerely, regardless if if, uh, they were a guest on this show or not, the PGA Tour Superstore may be my favorite retail outlet on the planet. It's, uh, It's so much fun to walk through their doors. If you love golf, and how can you not love walking through the doors at the PGA Tour Superstore? You get to test out all their latest equipment and their simulators, plus practice your putting stroke on their indoor putting greens. They've got great apparel and everything you could possibly need to get out on the course, plus they are partnering with us on a great giveaway. If you go to our Facebook page, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, or send me a tweet at CT Mascaro and tell me your favorite U.S. Open memory and why it's important to you, 
the person who gives me the best story is going to win a Dustin Johnson autograph, tailor-made arrow burner driver on behalf of the show and our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. So I really appreciate their partner partnership on this promotion. Uh, you'll hear my uh, conversation a little bit later with Matt. Uh, we also hope to have uh, our good friend Sean McKeel answering your questions uh, here in the, in, in the, the not-too-distant future uh, this afternoon, 20, 30 minutes from now, Scott. Uh, and I and uh, potentially Sean McKeel will be joined together, and we're going to go through all of those things together. So we thank you for being a part of the show. Uh, let's kick off the show today like we do every week by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military. We want to thank all of you for your daily sacrifices and what you do for us every single day. And uh, You guys, it's through your strength and uh, your abilities that our liberty and our freedom uh, remain possible. We thank you so much for that every single day. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's an honor for us to be a part of your network. You can find us by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. I also want to let our veterans know, be sure to check out Global Voice for Veterans. It's a great site with news and articles and a wealth of information designed specifically for veterans. And I'm sure you guys are going to find it both interesting and beneficial. Again, go to globalvoiceforveterans.org. We also want to give a, a shout-out to uh, everyone listening across the Internet. You can find our show on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio as well. Plus, if someone's dragging you to the mall or to the grocery store or you're just tired of the same old, same old on your commute, download the Player.fm app or Stitcher and take us with you everywhere you go. Uh, you know, you're going to be able to listen to us enjoy us while you're out and about. Uh, so please take a look at uh, both of those apps, player.fm and Stitcher as well. All right. Now joining me on the Seymour Putters guest line is, uh, is my guest, uh, uh, Scott Felix. Scott, are you with us? Yes, sir. How's it going? Ah, fantastic. Thank you, Scott. Uh, we've, uh, as I was saying to you off the air prior to uh, getting the show kicked off, uh, you know, we, We've got some uh, over here in Chattanooga. We've got some uh, some weather rolling in. The afternoon thunder boomers, uh, just as the show was about to go live, uh, we lost power, but uh, fortunately got her back up and running. So I appreciate you being here, Scott. Uh, for those folks who uh, aren't aren't aware of uh, Scott and his background, he's uh, he's uh, been one of the top club fitters named by Golf Digest, and he's been doing club fitting and repair for nearly 20 years. He's been working with guys like Lauren Roberts, Casey Wittenberg, and our good friend Sean McKeel. Uh, so we are very honored and thrilled to have Scott as part of the show today. Scott, before we kind of get into all the club fitting and, and, and things that, uh, boy, I mean, you certainly enlightened me and uh, you know, dazzled me with some stats when you and I were talking a couple of weeks ago. But before we get into all that, I'm just curious, right off the top, tell me about uh, your thoughts about what you're seeing at the U.S. Open this week. Tell me about your thoughts around the course and uh, who you think might be uh, the top two or three guys come tomorrow afternoon. Uh, you really look like Patrick, uh, Patrick Reed is um... – really posting a number. He's uh, been playing pretty good here lately. Uh, it's just anybody's game, just seeing how you barely miss the green by a yard or just on the edge and how much it rolls off, you know, 40, 50 yards off into the rough or a bunker, and you can hit some pretty crazy shots out there. Um, you can hit some great shots and and not really get rewarded for it. So it's uh, anybody's game. Right. 
So, you know, Scott, when you when you look at, you know, a US Open, you know, of this nature and the and the in the condition of the greens, have you have you seen greens that look like this? I mean, a lot of guys and and, and most of those guys that I think that are complaining about it are uh, are guys that are, uh, you know, now packed up and on their way home. Typically, if uh, you let that sort of that stuff kind of get into your head, you're not going to make the cut. You're not going to be a part of the uh, the last two rounds. But have you seen greens and and a course that is played like this? It looks very different to me, almost reminiscent of something that we see at a British Open. But um, it's a little foreign to me. What do you What are your thoughts? It, it does look totally different than what you're going to see. You know, the the fortunate part that everybody's right. got to play the same greens. Um, right. So nobody has any advantage there. Everybody's got to play the same green. Right. Uh, now, there was one video posted on Twitter that I saw one of the players, it was either Tuesday or Wednesday, playing a practice round, showing how firm the greens were. He was actually bouncing a golf ball like it looked like asphalt, like he was sitting on the cart path, just bouncing it and catching the really? ball. Bouncing it. Yes, it was. They're extremely firm. They're going to get some weird hops, and especially – they're not rolling really, really smooth. They've got a lot of poana and some. It's just a different kind right. of mix. It looks real dried out, firm. Right. Um, it's just different than what we're used to seeing in a U.S. Open um, format. You know, as I mentioned, Scott, when you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago, and I wish I had recorded that conversation because we could have done a whole show based on all the great things that you explained to me that evening. But let's talk about club fitting and why it's so important for players. And as uh, you said to me, it's important for players at all levels. It's not just, you know, for for the better players, you know, actually, and, and what you said to me makes perfect sense. For For guys that are high handicappers, they may actually get the, you know, the most benefit out of having their clubs fit properly to them. Talk about that. You know, exactly right. You know, the, the average guy, the guy that um, doesn't play that well, well, there's definitely reasons why they're not able to hit consistent shots because most of the time they don't have anything that sets up for them just based on their fundamentals from a length standpoint, a, a club head design, shaft flex, grip size, lie angle. If you could get just those basic generic variables dialed in to help work with you when you miss it uh it's going to put you in a more athletic posture to make a more repeatable golf swing um you know there's going to be certain people that need to hit the ball higher uh some people need to hit the ball lower uh, there's different models and different brands that you can kind of mix shafts and heads and angles and weights and grips and all that other stuff to help those people achieve those goals and um, the number one thing that I hear from most people is that they're not good enough to be fit, and that's the furthest from the truth. They're not good enough not to be fit. You know, you take a really good player, or like Sean, if he comes on later, I could give him random things that's not necessarily 100% right for him, but he could make work where the average person doesn't make the most repeatable golf swing, and they need something that's going to actually help them uh, when they do miss it right or they do miss it left or whatever it is. It's all about having an opportunity to put the club on the ball again to either save par, get up and down, and, and minimize that big number that those guys have. So one of the tools that I know that you guys use and we hear an awful lot about is TrackMan. Talk about what TrackMan is and how it helps to identify strengths and weaknesses in our game. Uh, TrackMan's Doppler radar. It tracks the golf ball. Um, it gives you a lot of different variables and information that helps not only give you what that player particularly needs based on his attack angle, 
um, safe to pass going on with the air, his height, his spin rate, how it's coming out of the air. There's a lot of different numbers that I look at versus what a teacher would look at. I think the numbers yeah. that I really focus on are going to be totally different than what a teacher focuses on. Um, you know, with most players looking at optimal height, we're trying to maximize distance, carry, how it comes out of the air, shallow with the correct spin rate. So I'm trying to make sure that the air didn't, uh, the ball didn't come out of the air too steep, so it, it'll be able to run and maximize their distance that way. Um, but also with irons, I want them to come out based on their speed. Most irons I want above 45 degrees coming into the greens, how it comes out of the air. That way, in most of these greens that everybody's playing now and the golf ball's not spinning as much, uh, you need to come at a little steeper landing angle to hold these firmer greens now. So, so to that you know to that end, Scott, and and you mentioned you know spin rate, and and I guess you know you know trying to hold a green like we're seeing you know this week at the U.S. Open, this is uh, pretty apropos. But I you know I know I was testing some new drivers out at my local PGA Tour Superstore a couple of weeks ago, and their fitters you know were saying that you know for me or you know I guess you know really for general generally for players, optimal spin rate off the driver. They say they want to see it you know below three thousand revolutions and tour players they say closer to you know 2000 or maybe even less than that no matter and, and no matter which brand of driver scott i tried no matter what the loft was what the shaft was anything i was always around 4000 4200 what is the, what does that mean why is that bad well there's a well what happens is as ball spins it creates lift as it creates lift it's going to go to an apex and once it runs out of speed it's just going to fall so at a certain speed, with a certain spin, the ball looks like it's going out, not up or floating. You know, with a ball golf, uh, golf ball spinning too much, the ball could actually look like it upshoots and tends to spin up. And then, like I said a minute ago, as soon as it runs out of gas, it's falling. And it's going to come out of the air very, very steeply, and you're not going to yeah. get any run, so you're not maximizing your potential. So the first things that I would look at is seeing what kind of driver you had. If it was um, – a spinny driver, uh, you had too much loft. Uh, if you were too steep into the golf ball, um, if you tend to swung, you swung the uh, your path was too much to the left with an open face and wiping it. You know what is it making you spin the golf ball too much? And then we would start trying to address those issues, making some adjustments with the drivers, the loft, the CG shafts, and all that other stuff to try to address that spin <clears throat> that high spin number. So talk about, you know, for, for someone like me that, you know, is, is coming to you and you, and you, you know, my, my spin rate is high. You talk about, you know, addressing the driver with different things. What, what are some of the things that you would recommend or some of the things that you would be doing? Is it, is it a different shaft, you know, type and is it, you know, is it a different, you know, do you also adjust, you know, not only fitting the club, do you also look at, you, you talk about the path that the, you know, the backswing has or the swing has. How do you go about right. adjusting all of those things? It seems like, you know, I I don't want to get into, you know, if it were me, right, now I'm coming right. to you trying to get all that stuff. Now I'm starting to think, you know, my Tiger Woods now, I've got 42 different things I got to think about, you know, in my in my swing. How do you help somebody like me that's a, you know, mid-handicapper or a high-handicapper, you know, achieve what's optimal for me, you know, is both adjusting. Are you looking at something in my swing and go, you know what, you got, you're going too far out. You're going too far in. You're taking the club too far inside. So I'm adjusting that. 
And then I'm also adjusting, you know, the shaft that you're using. I'm I'm adjusting other things on top of that as well. Right. You know, the the key word you said is optimal, and the you know they have the optimizer on TrackMan now, which is phenomenal. And based on your speed, it will show you if all the variables are correct, what your optimal distance could be. Uh, for instance, a guy I was working with today, really good player, had a great swing, was swinging. Uh, club head speed was about 109 miles an hour with a driver. And trying to mix all his variables together, when he first came in with his current driver, he was about 260 yards max with his driver yeah. after rollout and everything. His spin rate was a little high. But based on his speed, his optimal was 300 yards, 302, 298 consistently. And so once I got through working with him, we actually got a driver that was consistently anywhere from 285 on a bad shot to around 292, 293. He never got to his full potential, but it shows him with a little couple of inefficiencies that he has in his golf swing. And his instructor sent him to me. And, and that's another key I'll, I'll touch base on right after this point. But um, yeah. it just shows that keep moving in the right direction without you swinging any harder. If you were more efficient, these are the numbers that you could hit without changing anything except for being more efficient. And um, fitters have to work really closely with teachers. And teachers really need to understand that fitters are there to help benefit their players, not trying to change them, but they've got to work hand in hand. So um, the better teachers really understand how important equipment is to better that student that they're working with. And a fitter has to understand that teaching, there's an aspect of teaching that goes hand in hand together. And at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is make people have more fun, enjoy the game, get more people involved and um, grow the game. And, and, and to that point, Scott, when, if you're working, you know, sort of in conjunction or hand in hand with somebody's teacher, Talk about, you know, does the teacher, you know, make adjustments in a person's swing and then look to you and say, you know, hey, we've changed this and that, so now we need to go back and readjust or tweak, you know, some of the things that we've done with, you know, this person's irons, drivers, whatever it is, so that, you know, okay, so that we can get the full benefit, if you will, of the tweaks that we made? Right. No, exactly right. So as hopefully things start changing as a person's path gets better and it's not as steep or over the top or whatever their flaw is at the time. And from there, what you're starting to do is you're not having to buy all brand new golf clubs. You're either, you're just what I call massaging things where, all right, look, we need to flatten these out a little bit more. Hey, we need to just tighten this up a little bit more, Uh, whatever it might be. It's little tweaks and subtleties that you do to them actually enhance what they're doing now and and make that better um and that's kind of if you actually walk or walked in and watched me work with sean or lauren or casey and we tried 10 or 15 different things and we're looking at stuff the average person is going to look at that and say nothing really looks different but to us we're looking for whether it's flattening the ball flight out at the apex rounding it over taking some spin out of it getting it to start a little bit more left or fall off a little more right or whatever it might be, um, you know, and even the land angle. Those are the things that we're looking at, but the average person looks at them and says it's all the same. The cool things that I see day in and day out are when I have two guys come together that are average 80, mid-80 uh, players, 
and I'll fit one of them, and their buddy will watch. And then I fit the other one, and that guy gets to watch what I did to him. And they're like, it's amazing to watch what he was doing and now what he's doing now and how much better this golf club, now that it's fit properly with the right shaft, the right length, the right lie, it just clicks with what he does. And the right. uh, consistency, and it's really, really cool to watch the other guy while I'm doing the fitting, I'll look back at their friend and see, you know, I'm like, see how we just did that, how that changed this. And I'll even give somebody something. I'll go watch this one's either going to go right or I'll give them something else. or go watch this one's going to go left. You need to watch how those variables start changing and you're just dialing in the consistency throughout the fitting. I bet that is. I bet that is very cool to see that sort of stuff. And, you know, as you know, to your point, you know, coming in with your buddies, you know, one or two or whatever, and then see, you know, the transformation, if you will, of, of your buddy's game and then feeling confident stepping up and seeing the transformation in your own game. At, you know, not not only is that great as, you know, as a hacker, you know, to get up, come in there and, and, and see your game improve and feel better. One of the things that I think is so cool, and you've got a great website, FelixClubWorks.com, and Felix, F-E-L-I-X, FelixClubWorks.com is, you know, you, you you talk about on there, and I think it's even on, on your splash page, you, not only are you, are you repairing and, and fitting clubs, but you're also, you know, giving us confidence, right? I, I got to imagine that, you know, guys, after they come in and spend some time with you, feel better about their games because they have better ball flight. They're getting either better distance or better accuracy, maybe both, but then they translate that out onto the golf course, and suddenly we're playing better golf. So not only are you a club fitter and, you know, accurately depicted on your website, you're a confidence giver as well. Exactly. You know, that's my slogan underneath my logo is fitting performance and building confidence. So I want somebody to play. I'm not brand oriented at all. So when people come in, I'm performance oriented. What works the best for them? How can I maximize their potential? How can I maximize their fun? Um, what can I do to instill some confidence in them that they know when they leave, they can't get anything better than what they have when they get, when they uh, leave. Um, another thing I want to touch base on um, age. A lot of times I have guys come in that are older that say, Hey, I'm a senior. I bought these senior flex shafts. I can't hit them. You know, age is just a number. So when people are doing fittings, it's, based off of speed and not based off of age. So that's another key fact when you're getting guys in there. Um, I had a and by speed, you're talking, about, you're, you're talking about swing speed, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. So um, I remember um, earlier in the summer, I had uh, a gentleman come in. He was late 60s and had a senior flex driver. And he said, I can't hit this thing at all. It's terrible. I, I just uh, I don't know what I'm doing, you know. I'm 68, um, you know what's going on. So I said, look, you know, let's hit a few balls and see what what your numbers are doing. See why you're not getting your consistency out of out of this golf club. And the first ball he hits, he was 110 miles an hour. Second ball he hits was 112 miles an hour with a driver, and he's playing something with that is way too soft and can't catch up or keep up with him at all. So there's no way that he can be consistent because the club can't get back to the golf ball the same way every single time based on what he does. So he's having to wait on it and change himself to fit the driver instead of having the driver fit him. Mm -hmm. And so we actually 
built him a driver that was a stiff flex shaft that worked based on his the way his load characteristics were. And I tipped it a little bit more, almost into an X. And the guy picked up 35 yards, and he was just blown away. He goes, I would have never in a million years. I just thought when I turned this age, these are the types of shafts that I needed to be looking at for my game. And I said, that's not even close to being the case. It's based on the speed that you have is what's going to stay with you to give you the most consistent results. That's fantastic stuff. Scott, you know, there's there's another thing that you and I talked about that I think that we don't, you know, no, the average golfer doesn't think enough about with respect to their golf clubs, and that is to check, you know, the thickness of the grip. Thickness of the grip makes a big difference, does it not? Absolutely. You want to be able to hold that golf club in, in a way that, you know, still has control, but it's loose in your hand, that you but you still have control of it. So, you know, you heard that you want to hold it like you have a tube of toothpaste in your hand with the top off and nothing's coming out of it. If people tend to squeeze the golf club too much, they're not able to release the golf club properly. Um, All kind of bad issues could come out of uh, too much grip pressure. So controlled softness creates speed is a good way of thinking about it. And if you get a grip that feels great (laughs) in your hand, that feels great in your hand, that you feel like you can hold on to it softly but still have control, you're going to benefit from that a lot if you actually get your grip size to the way your hands are. Um, and a, another good analogy with that about control, softness, create speed. If you really wanted to pop somebody with a towel, would you soften your hand up or would you firm your hand up? You would soften yeah. it because as you soften it, you could create more speed and crack the whip more. So that's kind of the basic theory or thought behind that. Scott, a, a, a moment ago, you were talking about how the fitter and the trainer have to work together. And uh, I sort of look at it as an analogy. We talk about fitting your clubs, you know, to your swing and that sort of thing. But then I think you go to the next step, right? And you take a look at the golf ball because the golf ball is the one consistent, you know, one consistent thing that happens on every shot. So when you're fitting a player, do you also fit them with the right golf ball based on the numbers that you're seeing? Absolutely. You know, those are always suggestions. What kind of golf ball are you playing? Um, And you get that question a lot. Which one should I play? Based on what their numbers are, the track man's given me, you can give them suggestions. These are type of golf balls that would be good for you. Um, At the end of the day, the best way to truly fit a golf ball is start around the green, putting, chipping, bunker shots, 40-yard shots based on how you like to see that ball react on the green. And then from there, you kind of pick a ball. I like this one performs for me around the greens, and then I kind of really need to fit a driver around this golf ball based on what I want to do. Um, because that's not only is it important off the tee, but it's important coming in those greens because if you can't hold the greens, it doesn't matter how far you hit it off the tee. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I know there were a couple of golf balls that I tested out a few years ago that were really hard. I could hit them probably another 10 or 15 yards with my driver, but I couldn't hold the green when I got close. So, yeah, to your point, you're going to lose those strokes anyway, which is interesting. The comment you just made, Scott, it seems like you're almost looking backwards. If you are if you go back from – it's like you're taking the performance around the green uh, and, you know, on the chip shots – and seeing how that ball works, you know, there, and now you're building it all the way back to figuring out 
which, you know, how to create your driver and, you know, your line, your fit and that sort of thing so that it, you get yourself in a position to utilize that ball and have it perform for you around the green. Is that right? So you're almost going from green back to tee. Exactly right, because you're hitting 12 to max maybe 14 drivers around. So right. if you're hitting 12, 12 um, drivers around, par 72, so you have 60 other shots that all involve the green. That's a lot more important around the green and how it's going to hold around the green, check up, feel, how it putts, how it's coming off the putter face, uh, how it's reacting out of the bunker. Uh, do you like to hit the ball and when it comes to the green, one hop and stop? Do you like to try to spin it a little bit more? Do you like it to see not spin at all? How does it feel coming off the face? And that's when you really start getting really, really detailed with your tour players about golf balls. And um, the fortunate thing for them is they make about 10 different versions of the Pro V1 for them that the average person can't get. But narrowing that down for those guys is a little bit different. Yeah. Scott, um, just a couple more before we let you go. But, you know, if you don't mind, we've, we've got uh, a good friend of uh, both you, yours and mine uh, hanging out there on our on the Seymour Putters guest line I'd like to bring in to, to the show as well, and that's 2003 PGA champion Sean McKeel. Hey, Sean, thanks for joining us. Hey, how are you? How are you guys? Hey, Scott. Hey, Sean, how's it going? It's going. It's going. Just got back from a little um, a deep sea fishing. So... We're recovering from that. Caught some, uh, ah, caught some red snapper. It was a good day. <laughs> good for you. Sean, I just wanted to bring you in and get a, a last couple of uh, questions with Scott. I know uh, it's thanks to you that uh, you you, uh, you got Scott and I together, so thank you uh, for that. And uh, it's uh, it's been yeah. fantastic getting the opportunity to talk to Scott. But talk about uh, how you two guys uh, first got hooked up. I don't know. Scott and I have known each other for for quite a long time. I mean, I don't I don't recall the first time that we met, but obviously we're both golf fanatics, and uh, Scott loves to play the game um, as well. And you know, he's out there, and, and when I'm out at Spring Creek, you know, we hit a few balls, and I'll look at him and kind of see what he's doing and everything. And you know, a lot of players, um, you know, utilize the technology that's out there. And for us, it kind of grew up in the '80s and the '90s before all this you know, this equipment that came to the forefront, you know, we basically had a guy's eyes. We had, um, we had some video, video work, you know, it was still on VHS. If anybody's listening, remembers that, um, you know, but you know, it's, it's really evolved a lot. And so, um, I think the field portion of the game was really prevalent, you know, when I was growing up, um, you know, we didn't really understand, so much as to why the ball was hooking. I mean, we all had a theory that, oh, I had a toe hook there. We didn't really have any kind of ideas of, of, you know, starting lines. Um, And I think we did in putting, but nobody really equated the the iron game or even hitting your driver or fairway medals, you know, if the ball's starting right, that, that, yes, in fact, the club face is is open. Um, You know, so there's been a lot of advancements. And so Scott and I over the years have just, he, he does all my club work. Um, you know, whenever I'm home, I always, <clears throat> when anybody sends me a set of clubs, I have them just send them standard length, uh, which is pretty easy to get, although, uh, not as easy as, as you might think. And, um, you know, standard live, standard lofts. And usually they'll throw the grip on there too. Most everybody's pretty good about putting a round grip on. And I just, you know, Scott, we've got, we've, 
you know, we really haven't changed a whole lot of stuff. I've, I've flattened my clubs a little bit this year, um, you know, based on a couple of things, uh, you know, that I wanted to do, you know, with the club going into the ground. <clears throat> but we, you know, we spend a lot of time. He builds all my clubs. Like I said, he's got he's got all my specs and everything, and we've tweaked, tweaked a few things here or there. But, you know, it's been a good relationship. Scott worked for me last year at the PGA. We had a great time. Uh, you know, it was a good experience for him, and, and he's going to work for me again. We're going to – I say he's going to work for me. We're going to go up there together and and uh, have, have another good week at, at listening straight. So, um, you know, I value his, his opinion. He, he studied it. He's been around it a long time. I don't certainly don't know the numbers. Uh, you know, I understand most of them. Uh, there are certain things that I gravitate to uh, on the numbers part of it, but um, I try not to get too involved in that because I still want to have the feel in, in my fingers and my hands as to kind of really what the club is doing. And uh, so you hit a few balls on there, and Scott can dissect the numbers and, and spit them back out to you. Scott, talk about uh, the opportunity to work with someone like Sean. And like I say, you've you've got some other – you know, pretty uh, pretty strong um, clients and Lauren Roberts, Casey Wittenberg. But talk about the opportunity to to work with them, and uh, particularly in uh, in trying to help Sean and uh, to get the most out of his game. You know, it's unique, and uh, it's uh, always an awesome opportunity to be around some of the best players in the world and uh, things that they're able to do under the pressure. Uh, it's pretty neat to see it in all aspects. I've been very fortunate to to caddy for Sean last year at the PGA and a few of my other guys, and um, it's nice to know that they trust me on all aspects, asking a few questions about this and that, uh, definitely with all the equipment stuff, um, but inside the ropes as well, reading putts, getting yardages and all that stuff. Um, it's just neat hearing some of the other ways that those guys think about golf and how they approach it and their mindset. And uh, like Sean was saying, there's not like we do a whole lot there's little subtleties that we do, tweaks and adjustments and bumps and maybe a grind or a lie change or a grip size or um, a little bit maybe playing with this or that. But we're not doing a whole lot. It's just little subtle stuff because what they like is what they like. And it's going to be the same, and you don't really get outside of that norm, but how can we make what they do day in and day out better? And it's all about opportunities. Even at that their level, they want to make sure that when they're playing good, it's great. When they're playing bad, it's decent. So how can we have the best opportunity to get the lowest scores and at least laying one to, to get out of trouble? So it's just neat to listen and, and try to get inside of their brains and see how their mind works. Um, when it comes to golf equipment and how they view it and what they're trying to get out of it. And I always think it's a challenge to try to figure out how do I, how do I take this and give them what they need and at the same time give them what they want. So it's, it's just a challenge and it's fun to kind of come up with different things and see how they work, and, and it, it's been fun for over the years. Yeah, That's you know, fantastic. And they, the, um, I'll say this, and I think the art of the game, is not really is not really there right now. Um, you know, of course, I'm 46 years old, but I think of guys like Mark Brooks, Steve Flesh, Bob Estes, guys that would absolutely drive equipment manufacturers crazy because they'll come in 
and you might play, maybe you go to a golf course in Texas where you got really firm fairways, and they're going to, next thing you know, they're going to either bump their lies up just a, just a, you know, a little bit or bump them back a little flatter or strengthen their, you know, strengthen the lofts just a little bit, or they'll, they'll shave a sixteenth of an inch off the end of their shaft and regrip it. I mean, there are some of the guys that get a little crazy with it, but guys that really understand the field part of the game. And, I, and today it just seems like it is so technical. It's like, okay, these are the clubs we're building, and, you know, you just take out and play with them and, and uh, you know, put, put them on the machine and, and kind of see how the spin rates and launch angles and face-to-path and all these numbers and, you know, club head speed and all those types of things. So I think the art of the game um, has changed a lot and to, to a more technical, from more of a tactile type of game. You know, I've always kind of felt it in my fingers. And, you know, I, I've done this. I mean, Scott and I will go out and I'll get four or five different companies to send me shafts. I might try a KBS. I might try a Nippon. I might try an S300 in, in Dynamic Gold, which is made by True Temper. I might try an S400, which is heavier than what I use. But what, and I'll test all of these things, and I'll think, you know, I'm getting to the age now where I need to start, you know, maybe softening things up just a little bit. But when I go out and I actually test the products that I think I might like, the X100s are always the ones that test the best for me, even though they may not always feel the best. Um, so the technology is there, um, and you just need someone there to understand what the numbers mean so that you can put the player at ease to say, hey, look, this club's working for you. Um, you know, a lot of guys really like the old Project X shaft, and I think it's a great shaft. I think it's designed very well, but it feels so poorly. It feels so bad to me because I need a little bit of a feel in the hands and that club head. That shaft doesn't give it to you. So guys that start out in those types of things usually stay in them, much like me. I've been in the X100 for most of my career, if not all of my career since college, and um, even though I feel like maybe I need to go something just a little bit softer, um, maybe some of it's mental, but I think when you see the numbers on the, on the track, man, uh, you know, you realize, well, heck, why should I change? So it's been great. It's been great to have, have access to track, man, and, and Scott. Scott, one more before we let you go, and we appreciate it. you've been very generous with your time this afternoon. I'm just kind of curious for – for the guy that goes out and plays a couple of times a week and is you know pretty regimented at it, playing year-round as often as he can, how often should we be replacing our clubs? Not from a desire for you know the latest and greatest technology, not from that standpoint, but from you know wearing down the grooves and no longer getting optimal performance, even if we've been fitted and everything's perfect, but we're, we're out beating balls now on the range and playing round after round. How often would you recommend that we are looking at getting a new set of clubs? Um, I would say, honestly, it'd be every year and a half to two years. It would be something just to come in and not necessarily have a really, really, uh, full detailed fitting to say, Hey, I want to get some numbers off my clubs and they were fit for me. I hit them great. These are unbelievable. And, and this perfect example, say like with Sean, with all the new equipment that comes out, the manufacturers want these guys to play the newest, the latest, the greatest, and they're, you know, pushing all this stuff that is better than the, the model before. But, you know, if you truly have a set of clubs that were built right for you and they perform the way they're supposed to perform based on what you need, you know, you always want to put that benchmark out there. And then let's look at a couple different models 
and is this really getting me any more than what I already have? And if not, um, I would probably recommend people staying in what they have unless they just want to try something new. But every couple of years, it'd be good uh, to maybe just check. The things that you really want to make sure of is line loss because after hitting a ton of balls, playing a bunch of rounds, you want to make sure the line loss isn't getting black or a little knocked off throughout the year. Um, and grips. Grips are important. You know, that's your connection between you and the golf club. So uh, right. Golf Pride kind of recommends uh, every 40 rounds or at least once a year to change your golf grips. All right. That's solid advice. Scott, uh, uh, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. For our listeners uh, that want to follow you online and over social media, how can they do so? Uh, they can get me on my website at felixclubworks.com and click on any of the tabs of Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, check out all my stuff. All right. Great thing. Great stuff. Scott, thank you so much for uh, for being a part of the show this afternoon, being generous with your time. We really appreciate it. Hope you'll come back uh, sometime soon and share more of your insights with us because you're fantastic. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, Scott. Bye-bye. Scott Felix, again, FelixClubWorks.com. Follow him on Twitter, at FelixClubWorks as well. All right, now, Sean, uh, more questions from our listeners for you today. A lot of a lot of things around uh, your plans for the rest of the, of the year, plus uh, uh, more advice for uh, what, uh, what guys yeah. like me, hackers like me, are out trying to do. So <laughs> I uh, – the uh, the first question you know that we got this week is you know around Chambers Bay and uh, when you look at a place like Chambers Bay or like you mentioned you know the opportunity to go out to Whistling Straits later this year uh, for the PGA Championship uh, talk about you know is, is it difficult when you're used to playing you know more you know our, our traditional sort of golf courses that we have here in the U.S. Chambers Bay looks more like something you might find over in Ireland or Scotland in a Lynx play and I think that's what you're going to find a little bit at Whistling Straits but it, is it a big adjustment to to change? Is it a strategy change when you're playing a course like that? Yeah, it it is a big change. You know, I've I've kind of watched this U.S. Open um, and tried to embrace it as much as I as I can. It uh, it's just really unlike anything that that you that you typically see. I mean, historically, um, you know, the U.S. Opens have been played on really just some of the more famous golf courses. Uh, many in New York, uh, you know, Wingfoot comes to mind, um, Shinnecock, which is, which is more linksy and definitely a, uh, a different, it's different than what you find at Wingfoot, which is tree lined, very tight off the tees, a lot of deep rough. And as I've, you know, as I've seen the last numbers of maybe the last 10 years or so, really at Pinehurst from the start of 1999, which was my first U.S. Open that I qualified for. Um, you know, they started to gravitate towards some of these courses where uh, there was a little bit more room off the tee. They started to, uh, instead of having the very deep penal rough around the greens, uh, they started shaving the banks because guys got to be so good with these 60-degree wedges and 64-degree wedges. Um, it's, it's you know, but it, this U.S. Open has been difficult to watch because there's been a lot of, a lot of negativity surrounding the, the course, the greens, the, 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 the grass that is on the greens. Um, right. You know, some of the strategies uh, off of the tee with the firmness of the fairways, the bunkers. Um, you know, 
and this is the one thing that our championship doesn't need. But yet, every single year, it seems like this our U.S. Open is surrounded in controversy, and the controversy seems to lie around either the setup or the golf course. And um, look, you know, you're going to take guys and and put them on dirt or whatever, and somebody's going to win. That doesn't always mean you're going to get the best champion. Um, and that the U.S. Open has typically gotten the best champion because of all of the aspect, all of your aspects of your game are tested, you know, from off the tee to around the greens and those types of things. Um, but it is diff- it is different, and I'm I am more of a traditionalist in that I do like more tree lined golf courses, and I've said this before in the show. Right. Uh, much like Oak Hill was, uh, much like Medina was when I finished second in 06, the Tiger. Um, yeah. Those types of courses I just really enjoy. I think when you get into the lengthy style courses, you know, I feel so exposed out there that um, it's hard to find targets. Um, and I think it makes it challenging for everybody. But um, it's, you know, Chambers Bay looks to be like another bomber's paradise. Um, out there, as, as most of these golf courses have become. You, you mentioned, you know, the condition of the greens, and I think that's getting a lot of a lot of attention. To your point, you know, players taking you know taking some shots at the greens. Have you ever played on greens that look like this? Uh, no, I mean, you, you see some of the the coloration really isn't cause for concern. But I think when you see the actual close-ups of the greens, where you're seeing some of the different strands. Uh, maybe how some of the poana grows uh, during the heat throughout the day when the sun comes out, that makes it makes it very difficult. And I know there's a lot of complaining, and, and, and the answer to all of the complaining is, hey, you know what, you're in the U.S. Open and somebody's going to win. But if you're in the U.S. Open, the golf course ought to be in pristine condition. Of course there's going to be imperfections. That, that exists everywhere. And even with per- perfect golf courses come guys, and I've done it, you know, where I've complained about certain holes or the setup and things like that. But, you know, they had eight years to get this golf course um, to be immaculate. And none of us on the outside of the USJ are privy to what their discussions are inside. And maybe this is pristine uh, and perfect for what they've been discussing. Maybe it's perfect for them. They just haven't come out and haven't haven't said anything yet, but I don't get so caught up in the aesthetics of it because uh, you know, look, water is a big issue with golf courses these days. But uh, so the coloration doesn't doesn't bother me the least. I mean, all of us are in the United States are used to seeing green, perfectly green fairways and and, and white sand and those things. But uh, these surfaces that are out there with this fescue really provide some great surface to play to play golf and it allows you to play a lot of different shots. I mean, there were a lot of shots that, you know, you can putt from off the green, you can chip, you can pitch. Um, the biggest, seems like the biggest part of the golf course is, uh, you know, is making sure you're on the right side of the hole. And that's, that, that that's always the case in the U S open. Right. 
Sean, we got a, a question about um, prior to any of the majors. Did uh, did you ever uh, you know play a practice round or sit down with with somebody who had uh, you know been a champion at that place or in a major like a, a Mr. Nicholas or a P Mr. Palmer or Mr. Player to kind of pick their brains and play a practice round to understand you know to your point you just mentioned a moment ago where do I need to drive the ball where so that I have the proper angle and the proper second shot here maybe to get some ideas on strategy. Do you ever have an opportunity to do that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done that with all those, all of them, actually. You know, Mr. Nicholas and I played, uh, a, a, was my very first official practice round, you know, during the week was with Jack um, at, at Augusta in 2004. And uh, I was with Golden Bear Sports Manager for a while, and I've known Nicholas' family since I was in college because Gary played his son Gary played at Ohio State when I was at IU, and so I got to know them a little bit then. And uh, it was fascinating to be out with them. Um, I wasn't so much of a question asker about where I needed to be um, as as more of just questions about the, the, the places that he was, the the types of breaks. Because if you go there, and he said this, that every year, you know, and they kind of resurface the greens, there's a little bit of contour that changes. They They get it pretty close. But for, for instance, everybody remembers the the call by uh, uh, you know who was it? Um, it doesn't matter now. But anyway, it was on seventeen when Nicholas made that putt, and everybody remembers. Yes, sir. You know, right. and um, you know I played with him in '04. We went back to that same putt, and I asked him. I said, "Where were you on this putt?" And he said, "The putt doesn't break break right; it breaks left now." So it's just interesting to go out there. But I. Look, you know, I think with the with the technology, with computers, and and uh, maybe just our own stubbornness, I've I've not really been one that felt like I needed to sit down with anybody. Now, the, at the Open Championship, the British Open, uh, you know, Ben Curtis and I used to play a practice round against Trevor Immelman and Nick Price. We had a standing game on Tuesday, and Nick would share share a lot of things, um, you know, with us about you know, certain breaks, you know, when you play St. Andrews for the first time where they're going to play here in a, in a, in a month, uh, you know, you're aiming at uh, on the second hole or the third hole, you're aiming at the, at Lucas Air Force Base, there's a control tower out there. And there's, so there's not a lot of targets right on the golf course that you're aiming at. Um, so there's little, little things like that, but I've never felt like I needed to just sit down and just go hole by hole or where do I need to be? Because it's just golf. I mean, all of us have been around this, this game for a long, long time. We all have our ways of doing things. We all want certain things from our caddies, whether it's a front yardage. Uh, we all, some of us want to know where the trouble is. Some people just want to know where to hit it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fine with, with all the information. Hey, where's the trouble at? Where, you know, obviously where's the best place to be, but I've, I've pretty much figured a lot of that stuff out on my own. And just when I've gone out to play practice rounds, yeah, just kind of talk about it with other guys. It's pretty obvious. Look, when you get to be our, when you get to our level, um, there are places in the in, in the yardage book and around the greens and everything else that you just write the word no in big red letters with your sharpie because <laughs> it doesn't matter where the pin location is, you're not gonna you're not gonna make a great score from where where that red mark is. So, um, you know, that, and that's why the practice rounds are taking so long these days. These golf courses, you never know where they're gonna set the pins up. With Chambers Bay, the greens are so uh, so large that there's a lot of areas that, you know, basically what you do in the U.S. Open is you try to find a place where you know there is no way that they'll put a pin, and then you practice at that spot. 
because that's where <laughs> it's going to be. So, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of uncanny. At Chambers Bay, maybe not quite so much because the slopes are so, so significant. But there, there are golf courses that you go play that you just like, there's no way they're going to put a pin there, but yet I'm going to practice to that spot anyway. And it's great for feel and great for touch. But, um, you know, back to the original question is really kind of uh, the players are, are pretty smart. And uh, with the golf course in front of you and things like that, it's, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty simple really to pick apart the golf course and, and put a game plan together. You mentioned this next question is very similar. You mentioned a uh, standing game with Ben Curtis and when you go over and play at, at, at the Open Championship. But, you know, who did you enjoy playing practice rounds with? Well, when we were out there, and I was more regular out there, Kenny Perry and I played a lot of practice rounds with J.B. Holmes and Josh Teeter. And, uh, you know, and I play with anybody. Todd Hamilton is somebody that I really enjoy being out with. Um, you know, it's just – Guys will show up at different times. As I got, as I kind of got more into my career, I enjoyed playing practice rounds later in the afternoon. So a lot of times when Joey Sindelar was out there, he and I might go play a few holes together. Um, you know, I think the best time to go out there is, is late in the afternoon in the summer, particularly when you're traveling by, if you don't have your family with you. It's just nice to go out in the afternoon. The the, the players are all gone, and, and uh, you know, it's still light till 8.30 at night. And we just go out there and play. But Kenny and I, played a lot of rounds together and uh, really enjoyed his company because that, that guy was, was, was one heck of a player. Um, fun to be around. And, uh, you know, Steve Flash is another guy. But, um, uh, you know, it's pretty much those those guys right there that we played with. Uh-huh. But you might walk up to the tee and just, just pick up anybody. You know, Tiger and I have played together a bunch. David Duvall. I mean, we have to play with everybody. Um, that's what's great about about golf is the camaraderie that exists out there. And yeah, I want to beat the other guy and he wants to beat me, but why can't we go out there and, and talk about families and, and, uh, and get to know the golf course together. And, and, uh, it makes it, it makes it fun. And it's, uh, when you have the grind of 30 some weeks on the road, it's nice to be able to have, uh, guys that you want to share and spend some time with and, and, uh, help each other out. There's just no, there's no reason. There's no reason not to. Yeah. No, that's that's you know that's fantastic, and and uh, and I and I too I love you know if I'm going to play a round of golf you know I I like playing on the weekends at four or five o'clock at night and go out because I do I feel for whatever reason I feel more relaxed playing you know it it just doesn't seem as you know as stressful I guess you know you know when you play you know weekend golf and you're a hacker like I am to get out there you know you've got you know eight o'clock and you've got all you know you're worried yeah. about making sure that you're keeping up with everybody else and sometimes players are slower and sometimes you know you don't want to be the slow guys out there when you're out there later in the day and there's really not that many people out on the course it just it does it seems more relaxed and more fun at that point it is and you know you're not as rushed out there um you know, with, with, with guys teeing off and, and, you know, everybody, especially the, the, the younger players, the guys that are first-timers, they're getting out there trying to look, learn the golf course. And, and, they'll all be, and, look, there are times, I think, and you've heard this in the U.S. Open, Jordan Speed has talked about it, Phil has talked about it, that they did do some prep work um, prior to the, open, the U.S. Open, and they went out and they did their work. They, they walked around the greens. I think one day it said, they said that Phil took three and a half to four hours to play nine holes when it, it, he was doing his prep work and you do those types of things. And then you go out and you just knock the course off. You just go out and you, and you just play golf for 18 holes or nine or whatever it is. And the one thing right. I enjoyed about being, being late in the day was that I didn't have 
I had, I had plenty of time. There weren't as many people out there. If I wanted to hit a second ball off the tee, you know, I felt like I could do it, that I wasn't slowing anyone down. And uh, just a nice leisurely walk. It's me and my caddy. Um, go have a late dinner afterwards and, and just be ready to go for the next day. It's just, that's just kind of how I ended up. Now, when I first started, I'd be the first one at the golf course or one of the first at the golf course, and I'd be the last to leave. And I think that that was because of the excitement that I felt of being a PGA Tour player and, and, and being out there playing with these guys. Um, and it's just like, as I've gotten older, I felt like I just didn't need that. Plus, my body didn't handle it quite as well um, either. <laughs> so some guys are still morning. They're dew sweepers. Tiger's always out there early. Uh, playing practice rounds, if you want to get it over, you're done by 10, 10.30. A lot of guys are like that. Um, I'm not really that much of an early morning person now. As I've gotten older, it's a lot, it takes me a lot more time to loosen up. So, um, and, I, and the other thing is I'm not quite as, I'm not as excited about it as I used to be. Sean, uh, something I wanted to get your perspective on, and I heard Gary Player talking about this recently. And one of the one of the questions, you know, is always around, you know, the how much better equipment is now. You know, not only the the the, uh, the clubs, but also the golf balls and all of that sort of thing. So one of the things that Gary Player also mentioned, he's like, one of the things that people don't realize is, you know, when he was playing, and you know, probably in, in the same when you were for coming out, is you know, guys were using metal spikes and the, the trans. Transition from metal spikes to soft spikes, you know, made the greens so much smoother and easier to read because, you know, when guys are out there walking around in, in, uh, in, in golf yeah. shoes and with the, with the metal spikes, you know, and, and you couldn't, you know, when you were lining up, you couldn't, you couldn't smooth those things down. That was a rule, yeah. for, which is, which is a silly rule. We'll talk about silly rules here in a minute, but he talked about how, you know, nowadays it's so much better because, because of the advent of the soft spikes. Could you tell a difference? Because I think your, your career kind of overlapped from the time with, you know, players yeah. went from, you know, the metal spikes to the soft spikes. Well, yeah, absolutely, and I think as far as I know right now, I mean, I know Phil still still wears metal spikes, and maybe Steve Elkington does um, on the Champions Tour, and I, it was something that I just have kind of gone to over the last couple of years. Um, I was always in the FootJoy Classic, FootJoy uh, Icon, Classic Drive Premier type of shoe with a really thin sole, and I and I was always metal. I was a, I was a convert. I was, I was the last kind of a convert to to going um but what happened is a lot of times you go to these golf courses you'll see them at u.s open u.s open sectional qualifiers i'll go do an outing on a monday where there are soft spikes only and i'm like well so then what i'm having to do is i'm having in order to kind of you know conform to society i guess you will i'm i'm having to change have change my spikes out for a monday outing um so i'm not disrespectful to the golf golf course and the members and everything else um, it just got to be aggravating. But also, as the shoes have changed and evolved, the spikes have gotten a lot better. There's a lot of companies out there that are making really great products. But, yes, you know, uh, you know, every time that I wear metal spikes, I mean, every single time, and I do this to this day, and I think now it's out of habit. Every time I pick my ball out of the hole, I'm always tapping where my feet are. And I, and, and, and it's, there's a lot of etiquette that is, that is involved in, in that. Um, you know, Steve Elkington has been on record of saying that you know, he would always when he get his ball out of the hole. He wouldn't tap anything down because that's just that's just too bad for the guys behind him. Um, and I've never, yeah, and I've never really kind of felt felt that way, um, you know, about it. But people use metal spikes to keep you grounded. They work. They really do. 
But now you can't really put metal spikes in a lot of these shoes. Um, they don't feel great on your feet. And uh, when you're out there walking five and a half, six miles a day, it's nice to have some of the newer uh, materials out there on your feet. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so many changes have, have happened over the years. I mean, um, but green maintenance has gotten better. Um, you know, you would see a lot of the a lot of the, the bent grasses, a lot of some of the poannas uh, with really hard and crusty tops is where you would see a lot of the a lot of the spike marks. And now you don't see that, and I think that's I think that's great for the game. It's I I don't I don't know if it's any better for the golf course, uh, but it's 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 better for the players that are that are playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, talking about rules, you know, one of the questions we got this week, uh, Sean, was which rules of golf do you think are ridiculous and need to either be changed or gotten rid of? Uh, I don't know. There, that rule book is, what, 500 pages thick? I mean, you know, I've never really liked the stroke and din- distance penalty um, for for out of bounds. I, look, I mean, it's, it is what it is, so how would you change it, allow somebody just to drop where it went off? I don't know. I don't really like the um, I don't really like the the regular water hazard rule. I think every I think every hazard should be marked red. Um, you know, which I got into an argument with somebody at Southern Hills in 2001 at the U.S. Open about about a lateral water hazard with my with my walking walking official walking USGA official. I got into an argument with him during the round about it. Um, you know, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, there's 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 definitions of interference versus intervention. Both are different rules, and they're just there's a lot of archaic rules. Um, it's kind of like the U.S. tax code. I mean, there's so many things you go through these <laughs> things. Like, why is that even in existence? You know, like you can move sand, you can move sand, but on the green, if your ball is on the if the sand is on the green, you can move sand. But you can't move a pile of sand if it's on the fringe and your ball's not on the green type of thing. So there's, there's just a lot of little things like that uh, with loose pediments. Um, you know, there was an issue a couple years ago with Ryan Davis. It was left of the green at Hilton Head playing Jim Furyk, and he was in the hazard in, in Calabogie Sound. They love talking about Calabogie Sound. And he was able to, to play. His ball was not in the water. But what happened was, is he was in a hazard, which you are allowed to touch the top of the grass, either at a dress or in a swing. You cannot, you know, obviously ground your club in the hazard, um, but you are allowed to touch the top of the grass um, on your swing or at a dress. And what he had done is when he swung back, there was a piece of grass a, that was not attached to anything that he actually touched on his way back and maybe moved slightly. It was just a, it was like a, it wasn't even a palm leaf. It was just some kind of a, a, some sort of seed type grass that was just loose. Maybe where that tide had come in, that's a penalty for some reason. And, you know, when you're playing golf, you ought to be able to, to, to get a stance, which you are allowed to, you're entitled, always allowed to take, take a normal stance. Sometimes you got to get creative uh, but you're you're entitled to take a stance, and you ought to be able to, you ought to be allowed to make a swing. And if, and and um, but they deemed that moving that piece of grass in the backswing actually helped him, gave him a better lie. So there's a lot of things out there that are like that that don't make a lot of sense. And I can tell you that every single one of us has done something in the course of a round at, at a major or or whatever 
that you've broken a rule and haven't even known it. And, you know, a lot of it is to protect the field. Um, you know, are you, are you gaining an advantage by what you're doing out there? And all of us that play the game would never want to, uh, you know, I guess you would, could technically be accused of, of cheating. Uh, we are supposed to know the rules. Uh, do any of us know all the rules? No. That's why we have rules officials out there. But there's a, there's a lot of things out there that are, that are like what I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Sean, a couple more be, before we let you go. Um, and these two, these last two, can sort of go along with uh, the last question we talked with Scott about. But uh, how often are you uh, changing out? Uh, you know, typically, you know, the question is around iron. So how many? How often are you changing out your irons? And particularly from my perspective, you know, I was I'm most curious about your wedges. How often do you change out those things? So I think those are the grooves that we tend to, you know, mess around with or, or get out of get out of shape, if you will, more frequently. No, definitely. I mean, you know, you're spending more time with your short clubs, uh, either on the golf course or practicing. Uh, on the range, those are usually the clubs that you warm up with. Those are the clubs you use bunker shots with, chip with. So there are a lot of balls, um, you know, being used. I worry more about, uh, you know, the grooves and uh, just the keeping the not compromising the face. But with some of the older technology, some of the small, really soft faces, you can actually see the indentation um, in, in some of the sand wedges. But as far as irons. Uh, you know, I don't change very often. You know, I'll, I'll keep a set of irons for a year or two um, as long as the grooves are still in fine shape, which normally they are. The, the, the technology is great with the balls and, and the metals are, are pretty firm. But, um, I, you know, when you find a set of irons that you really like and you got a, a nice mix, uh, you got your, you got the right shafts, you got the right grips. I mean, I hate regripping my clubs. Absolutely hate it and I will take them I will do everything I'll, I'll get sandpaper to to try to keep them tacky but once I find a grip that feels good I hate changing it because it changes the whole feel of the club um, but unfortunately it's just part of it and it's what you have to do but um, you know much like what Scott said there's really no reason to ever change unless you just feel like you know you want to try something new I mean some people you know, they get a new car every every couple of years, and a new sports car comes out. They go get one just because they want it. <laughs> um, and I suppose it's that some of the that most of the companies are kind of banking on that. You know, they, I mean, how much better can you get? I mean, every year they come out with this these new stuff, saying, "Oh, it's longer, it's straighter." And I'm like, "Well, how much straighter can you get? Last year it was straight. Is there anything straighter than straight? I don't, I don't really know. I haven't figured that one out yet. You know, so now they've they figured out." That's, they've they, they've got every club that goes straight now. TaylorMade's got clubs that that are that are uh, if you hit them off the toe, they go the same distance as they do if, pretty much if they go in the sweet spot. Um, so there's there's more of that technology out there now. But but um, I think once you get a nice set of clubs built and they fit you and you like the way they look and and they and they work well, um, you know. And the thing about us is that. You know, you're traveling around and you're playing different golf courses every week. You know, some weeks are are very firm. Look at look at Chambers Bay this week. Um, you know, the, the the British Open will be the same way with really tight, firm fairways. And um, you know, when I have those, I like to have a little bit more bounce on my clubs uh, so that I'm not digging. And um, so, 
we we have that luxury to change, but I try not to ever change clubs, uh, and I'll and I'll stick with a set of irons for a couple of years, and, and most and a lot of guys will. BJ, I think, would change his wedges out about every couple months. Um, he was he was really one, and I don't know about Phil, um, because you know BJ felt like he always wanted the sharpest grooves, um, the freshest grooves out there. I just once I find something that looks good to me and works well, I don't I don't usually like to change. So the the next extension from that is how many holes or rounds will you play with the same ball? Oh, well, definitely never rounds. I've usually lost a couple by then. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, unless you're playing the golf course, like, like I'm going to bring up St. Andrews where there's, there's only a couple little water hazards and you should be able to navigate those. You don't lose any. Um, but, um, no, you know, you used to have to change balls a lot more, a lot more regularly. Uh, tight lies, uh, the balls, the guys that grew up around with the 384 Tour Bolatas and even the Pro V ones, wedges and stuff would just would just tear the golf golf cover off the, you know, tear the cover up. And so you would change, yeah. you would change a ball after you hit a certain club. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have really have any superstitions. If I make a birdie, I'll keep going. If I make a bogey, I might keep the ball in play. I don't necessarily get rid of it. Uh, I think Ernie Ellis gets rid of a ball. Time he makes a birdie, I think he gets a new ball. Um, and really? Which is odd. Yeah, I think he thinks yeah. there's only one. There's only one birdie in each ball. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I never understand these. See, we're all nuts. We are all crazy out there. I mean, we all have something different. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll play for a while and I'll look at the ball. I look at it all the time. I'm like, okay, there's a scuff mark there. I'll give it to, give it to sign, sign it, and give it to someone. I just, I don't know. I usually start with, I usually start with nine, at least nine balls in the bag, and a couple loose ones. Uh, so I've got ten or eleven balls usually in the bag. If it's a, if it's a golf course that, uh, uh, you know, has a maybe a lot of water, I guess maybe I'll pack a couple extras just in case. Um, it, you know. Sometimes I can get away, and the funny thing, like Caddy last me because I'll, I'll put a dozen balls in there, and then I'll only use two or three the whole round. So he's, he's stuck having to carry another six ounces. But um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, we're all we're all just different. I I just if I well, no, let's put it this way: if I make a big number with a ball, that ball is going is going. Or I'll change numbers sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I'll change numbers. I'm like, get rid of these fours, give me threes, just give me another number, and. Uh, it's just I don't know anything we can do to deflect uh, any responsibility of a bad score, a bad hole, a bad shot. Anything we can yep. do to deflect that is 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 something we'll do. Some people are more are more uh, you know verbal about it. You know, you heard Jordan Speed yesterday talking about how much he hated the 18th hole there, how stupid it was, and those are the types of things that you hear out of us too. The mics don't always pick it up, and I think if 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 the mics did pick up everything we talked about, it'd be uh, it'd be have to go to uh, cable. So, <laughs> <laughs> might be fun, maybe interesting viewing. Right, John, you're fantastic. Thank you uh, again for being a part of the show with me this week. It's uh, it's so much fun getting to talk golf with you and getting your insights and uh, and your opinions and listening to your experiences. Thank you for being here again this week. Remind our listeners uh, again how they can follow you online and over social media. Yeah, yeah, you can find me at, uh, you know at Sean McKeel PGA is my Twitter handle, and just go to Sean McKeel and find me on Facebook and. Uh, uh, that's I guess those are the two best ways to two best ways to find me. 
There you go. Sean, thank you again, and uh, we look forward to the next opportunity. If it's next week, it's great, if, depending on how your schedule goes. But uh, And our listeners, thank you, by the way, for uh, for answering their questions. I get a lot of positive feedback and a lot of thank yous for uh, for getting their questions on the air and then uh, getting you to answer them. So uh, well, thanks from our great. listeners, and, and thanks I a lot. I love it. I love doing it. It's uh, It's been an interesting couple segment that we've, we've kind of started here, and hopefully we can keep it going and and uh, can share some of the get some good benefit to the listeners and, and all that. So it's, it's always great. Yeah. Thank you very much, Sean. And uh, hopefully we get the opportunity to give to do it all again next week. In the meantime, have a happy father's day and uh, all the yeah. best to you and your family. Thank you, Chris. You too. All right. We'll see you. All right. Take care, Sean. Okay. Sean McKeel. And, and, and like he said, that's Sean McKeel PGA. Uh, and uh, if you've got questions you want to, you want to get out here and, you know, we've been, over the last uh, three or four weeks, we've had uh, you know forty, fifty questions for Sean. And if you want one of them to be yours, send me a tweet to at CT Mascaro or go to our uh, next on the T with Chris Mascaro Facebook page and uh, put a little entry on there, and uh, we will get that uh, question uh, on the air for you as well. So uh, thanks again to, to Sean for being a part of the show this week. All right, now we're going to move to uh, our conversation uh, with the uh, PGA Tour uh, Superstore Chief Marketing Officer, Matt Corey. Okay, now joining me on the Seymour Putters guest line is Matt Corey. Matt is the Chief Marketing Officer of the PGA Tour Superstore, which may be my favorite retail store of any kind anywhere. And I'm very thrilled to have him next on the tee with me this morning. Matt, thank you for joining me. How are you today? I'm great, Chris. Thanks for having us, and we appreciate that uh, you, you like our little store. <laughs> absolutely. Not so little, by the way, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of my favorite places. Matt, as as you know, I had your president and CEO, Dick Sullivan, on with me a couple of weeks ago. And as I said to him, I live about a driver five iron away from your store in Kennesaw, Georgia. And I, Dick called me out on that, I think, because he wanted to know how far I can hit a driver. But as uh, fans of the movie Tin Cup can tell you, you can drive the ball a long way with a seven iron when the ball is bouncing down the street. But truly... One of my favorite things to do is to walk through the doors of your stores. It's a golfer's wonderland. And with Father's Day being this weekend, I like to say it's a dad's wonderland. For those folks who still need some last-minute gift ideas, talk about some of the things that are hot that people should be coming into your store to check out for dad. Yeah, you know, there's still obviously time, right? Dad's Day is tomorrow, and a lot of people will uh, uh, shop very last minute for Father's Day. And frankly, if, if dad gets a gift even after Father's Day, he's pretty excited about it. Um, but there's there's a lot of great things going on. A lot of a lot of last minute gifts. Uh, some really easy ones are things like golf balls. Uh, the Callaway Chrome Soft golf ball uh, has sold extremely well for us this year. And you can also never go wrong with Titleist Pro V ones. They're very easy to grab and go. Um, and we've got a variety of great golf brands. I think there's seven over 70 different brands in our store, but. Pro V1s, uh, Callaway Chrome Soft, two great, simple uh, grab-and-go golf ball ideas. Um, I always say at this point in time, gift cards are perfect. There's nothing better than Dad saying, oh, cool, I get to go choose whatever I want, and this isn't, you know, this isn't just some random gift. It's, it's something that I'm going to put to great use, uh, and I get to choose anything in the store I want. 
uh, for $25, $50, whatever it might be, um, and I get to apply it to something that I'm going to have a lot of fun with after Father's Day. Um, but still, even 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 today, you know, we're selling a lot of uh, a putters. Um, putters are a great gift idea. You can tell what's in your your dad's golf bag, uh, as our CEO likes to say, and and go check out what's in his bag. And if it's like if it's a two ball putter, but if it's a really old one, you know, then dad might want a new two ball putter uh, with the latest technology that Callaway includes in their Odyssey line, um, or a mallet putter from from Ping or Nike uh, with the Nike Method putter, which is a fantastic, uh, fantastic putter. Um, so a lot of fun things. And then another great category, Chris, is technology. Technology is right. So buying dad a rangefinder um, or a GPS watch, which start at about 149 and up, uh, it, those are the, the, the gadgets are always really, really uh, in. Dad loves technology in general, and anything to help him play faster on the golf course as he's wearing his GPS watch that tells him the distances to the front, center, and back of the green, or that rangefinder that gives him exact yardage to the pin with slope in some cases, uh, telling you if it's you know you got to add 10 yards because the, the green is above where you're standing or, or vice versa is always another great gift idea. You know, you, you talk about playing, you know, the ability to play faster and also the opportunity, you know, getting through some gift cards and some other things that people may not realize, Matt, that you guys do is also offered golfers the opportunity to play better. You guys have lessons available inside your stores plus Fitting, and I think that's one of the things. And and uh, we've got some folks going to be joining us later talking about you know getting fit for your golf clubs. Talk about you know let people know about you know the lessons that you guys have and the importance of getting their clubs fit, which may be also something that they could do with using the gift cards uh, for that as well. Well, I've got even better news for you. Since since fitting in our stores is free every day. Uh, it doesn't even require a gift card. So they can still apply that gift card towards any great product or, or lessons, to your point, that they want. But they can come in and get fit by a PGA Pro or a certified fitter in our stores absolutely for free. We believe that that's just important. We don't charge for that service. We give them that world-class service every day with the great associates in our stores that absolutely love this game. And they will not sell you equipment that's not right for you. If they feel like you need to make some some swing adjustments, they will make sure you make those swing adjustments, maybe even get you a lesson or two before they sell you a set of irons because they want to make sure it's the right set for you. But they will fit you. They will they will bring you when you when you get fit, it's an incredible experience. And most people don't buy a suit off the rack. Uh, they try it on first. They get it adjusted uh, for their body type and shape. And it's the same with golf clubs. And just by coming in and getting uh, getting a, a certified fitter to work with you on the right length of the shaft, the right the right shaft in general based on your swing speed, um, whether or not you tend to, you know, I, I, my swing, in, in, for, as an example, I tend to not have a perfect swing, <laughs> and I dig the heel in a little bit, and so the adjustment to my club needs to be, you know, a, a slightly adjusted based on my swing plane, so they're adjusting the equipment, the angle, and the loft and lie of the club so that I hit it straighter and further than ever before. And going through that experience and knowing that it's free, too, is just incredible. You are inspired to play better golf. 
once you've gone through a fitting. And people have more fun out on the golf course. So fitting is definitely an, an important part of any golfer's year, whether it's this time of year so you can continue to play through the summer and fall uh, or whether it's at the beginning of the season, getting fit is critical. Yeah, absolutely right. I couldn't agree with that more. It made a big difference for me, and I was surprised, uh, you know, and I had my clubs fit at the Kennesaw location, and I was surprised the big difference that it made in my game. So, yeah, absolutely a great idea for that as well. Matt, you guys have been so gracious to work with us here on this show on a Dustin Johnson autograph driver giveaway promotion that we have going on right now. Our listeners for those folks who write into our Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro Facebook page with the best story about which U.S. Open in history is their favorite and why, the listener has the opportunity to win a Dustin Johnson autographed, tailor-made, arrow burner driver. So thanks to you guys for that. It's, it's a wonderful promotion. And you guys also have your own Dustin Johnson tailor-made promo going on. Remind our listeners about that. Yeah, well, uh, it's it, we're, we're excited. You know, we just uh, we just wrapped up this promotion, so obviously we're rooting for Dustin to win. But over the last month, customers that have come in and purchased a tailor-made driver, a new tailor-made driver, have had the chance that if uh, DJ pulls off this U.S. Open victory, their driver is going to be free. So we're hoping he has a fantastic weekend. Uh, we're hoping that he goes really low, and that we are giving away thousands of drivers uh, across the country to customers who have purchased that driver and then just had that chance that, that they're going to get it completely for free. So we're excited. It's, a, it's an insurance policy that we bought, just not, not nothing different than like hole-in-one insurance or anything else. Um, and, you know, I, I, I ran this promotion in my past life uh, at, a, at a different uh, golf retailer um, back in 2010 with Phil Mickelson at the Masters, and Phil won. And so we're hoping that DJ can uh, can repeat that success five years later here at the U.S. Open. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a little magic. You you bring a little magic to this one. So uh, well, maybe that's a little extra for uh, for Dustin. Knock on wood. Let's hope so. So to to that end, Matt is is if he were to win, like it was in your in in your previous life, is that a marketing guy's dream come true, or is everything that comes with that make it a, a marketing guy's uh, sort of now, I want to. I don't want to say it's a nightmare, but you know everything that comes with that is it. Uh, is it a challenge being the, the chief marketing guy for a promo like that, or is boy the the uh, the amount of exposure that gives you, boy, it can't come any better than that. Yeah, it's it's the latter. It's pure adren- adrenaline. It's it's terrific when something like this actually happens when you can pull off a big event, whether it's the launch of a product or you know a fun promotion with the, with a major athlete like Dustin Johnson and a great brand like TaylorMade. Um, it's just a lot of fun, and so you don't worry about your lack of sleep. Uh, you, you celebrate it, and you celebrate all the great comments from customers that uh, write in and call in and, and tweet and post on Instagram their picture of their free driver, and you know you just have a lot of fun with it, and uh, and you roll, and, and then and then you got to figure out the next big idea. So it's all always a lot of fun. Uh, there you go, Matt. I, I was reading on uh, on your site. You guys have got some new stores opening up. Tell our listeners will they'll be able to walk into a new uh, PGA Tour superstore soon. Yeah, you know, we we now have 23 stores nationwide plus our online store. We just opened in Birmingham and we had a terrific uh a terrific event in Birmingham. There were about 4 to 500 people lined up waiting to get into the store uh, uh Saturday morning 
this past Saturday morning, a week and a half ago, and um, or a few weeks ago, rather. And, uh, you know, it was great. And it was our first store in Alabama. Um, and uh, we, we inspired, uh, hopefully, a lot of uh, a lot of golfers to want to pick up the game, want to play the game, want to enjoy the game more. Um, and, you know, if we sell some product along the way, we're pretty happy about that, too. But it's fun. It was a great event. And we're continuing to look at markets all over the country. You know, our plans are to double the number of stores that we have every four years. So if we're going to go from 23 to 46, 50 stores in the next four years, we're going to be looking at at great opportunities all over the country. And then eventually we'll go beyond the U.S. as well, Canada and elsewhere. So um, a, a lot of exciting growth. We're sort of bucking the trend in golf retail in the U.S., um, and we're excited about that. You mentioned your online store, Matt. Are you guys seeing a shift towards more online sales, or is golf really an industry where consumers want to get their hands on the items and test them out in your simulators before uh, committing to you know either you know one driver or one set of irons or you know one one type of golf ball or another? Yeah, online sales for us have have been really really strong over the past couple of years, and I believe that it uh, it's a continuing tr- trend not just in golf but in any category. Uh, more people are getting used to buying on their phones, uh, transacting on a tablet, on their phone, desktop, you name it. Um, that the world is blending now. You know, we used to talk about retail and channels, and are they going to buy in this channel or that channel? It's not the case anymore. Customers want to consume content and information. Um, on the move. They are on the move, and they want to buy in the easiest way for them. They want to be able to order online and pick it up in the store, um, and that is that in particular is a service that we are working on right now for later this year. We want to blend our channels together and make it really easy for customers to shop, whether it's online at PGATourSuperstore.com or in our stores, um, and to have that convenience. That, that's really important, and a lot of great brands have already done that uh, and we are well on our way there too. And I want to kind of bring it back down, you know, to you a little bit. Talk about when did you first start playing golf? Who was the first person to put a golf club in your hand? Uh, that's a funny story. It was, um, it was. I, I'm a lefty, so I could never. When I grew up, I never was able to really borrow anybody's clubs. But I, I had a friend of mine just after college uh, at the University of Florida. So shout out to the Gators. But uh, a friend of mine um, after college gave me a hand-me-down set that must have been, at that time, you know, 15 years old, a uh, set of irons. Um, and uh, I think I got a three-wood or something with it. So I started to tinker around a little bit. And I, and I used to be really good, Chris, at driving the, the beer cart in college. So when my buddy <laughs> played... When my buddy played in some golf tournaments right there at the University of Florida, I would cross the road over to the Publix, load up the cart while he was teeing off on a par three, and by the time he was done with that hole, I was fully loaded back up with sandwiches and beer and drinks. And and so I was really good at driving a cart. I just wasn't good at actually playing the game and then started playing a little bit more in my mid to late 20s, um, and it, uh, it grew from there. So from at the, at that point, you know, if you uh, had an eye towards the PGA Tour, who were some of your favorite golfers at that point? You know, I mean, th- th- this is back in the day when when Tiger was just getting going, and it was just fun. Um, you know, it was fun for for golf to watch the Freddie Couples of the world, the Greg Normans, and then watch Tiger coming up as well. Um, to me, though, you know, today. Uh, I often get asked favorite player, favorite golf moments, et cetera. I, you know, you know what? I right. I just love watching golf when it's really competitive. And you look at 
events like the Ryder Cup. You know, unfortunately, the U.S. hasn't been very successful recently, but you look at the Ryder Cup and you look at it, whether you're watching it live, if you're lucky enough to go, or you're watching it on TV, and you see the crowd going nuts and cheering and running, and you see that you see the athletes, you see the players high-fiving each other and, and you know, fist-bumping and, and doing all the things that are like, man, that is awesome. Look at the camaraderie that's going on. Look at Phil Mickelson and Ricky Fowler, and they're grinding together. Or look at... Uh, you know, all the other great players. Look at our, our young players coming up um, that are just playing really, really well and, and fighting hard, Jordan Spieth, et cetera. And, and it's exciting. It's fun to watch golf when it's highly competitive and the crowd is into it. And frankly, I wish more tour events would create that sort of atmosphere uh, because I think that's a lot of fun for fans of all ages, genders, et cetera, um, whether they play golf or not. You know, that makes this sport more fun. Yeah, no, I agree with that very much. Matt, what about courses you've had the opportunity to play? Is there a place that you've uh, particularly liked, uh, one or two places you particularly like to tee it up? You know, here's the thing I tell people that, that either play golf or are just thinking about getting into the game of golf. Honestly, if you could if you could have three and a half to four hours or three and a half to four and a half hours on any golf course walking around – um, enjoying yourself in the outdoors, it, it doesn't matter what course you're on. Like, it, it's phenomenal exercise, especially if you walk the course. Um, but even if you ride in a cart and you're playing a municipal course in your backyard or you are fortunate enough um, to play Pebble Beach or Bandon Dunes, um, I've been lucky. I've played both those courses, and those courses are phenomenal. Time stops. You know, you're on the coast, and you you don't even you don't even reach for your cell phone. You you forget that you've you haven't picked up your cell phone in a couple hours, um, and that's that's a magical experience. And I and you know a lot of the young folks out there may or may not even relate to that nowadays because phones are attached to the hip. But um, it's amazing to be able to have any experience where you just really can put your phone down. You don't have to be connected and just enjoy yourself with with friends. That's that's what this sport is about. It's not about lowering your handicap, you know, one more stroke. It's about I'm going to go out, I'm going to laugh, I'm going to play music, um, I'm going to have a great time with my friends, and you know what? We get to be outdoors getting some exercise for a few hours. There you go. Matt, Dick, and I also talked about how we as golfers and, and the things we buy are influenced by who – wins week to week, especially following the major. So how do you guys react to increased demand? You know, looking forward to, you know, to next week, whoever wins on Sunday, how do you react to the demand uh, that the that the brand of, you know, driver or irons that that guy plays is going to go through the roof next week? Yeah, you know, obviously we take advantage of some great relationships with all of our manufacturing partners, the Callaways, the TaylorMades, Nikes, Titleist, you name them. Um, and we react as quickly as possible to get messaging up on our website. Uh, and, you know, when, when Jordan Spieth won the Masters, I think within 24, 48 hours, we had in-store visual displays set up showcasing what he wore with Under Armour. Um, and so, 
you react quickly, uh, especially if it's a well-known player um, and you believe the demand is going to be there. You know, this dates back to when Freddie Couples wore the Echo shoes with no socks at the Masters, and you know, and Echo shoes exploded for a year and a half, not not being able to keep up with demand. Even um, you take advantage of those moments as as best you can, and um, a lot of that can certainly happen faster in a digital world with online advertising and changing your website and blasting out emails, et cetera. Uh, you got to be ready, but uh, it's it's fun. It's it's fun to be able to react to situations like that. You, you mentioned technology earlier more with respect to, you know, items that we can buy in the PGA Tour Superstore. But what technology and innovations might we see from you guys at the PGA Tour Superstore that, you know, going into your outlets to maybe something new and different that uh, we haven't been used to or seen before that may be coming on the horizon? You know, that's a great question. I think that I think that overall... I've I've worked for another golf retailer in my life. I, I worked for Golfsmith for about seven years, and um, you know I can I can say at the time that we were always envious of PGA Tour Superstore because what PGA Tour Superstore does is they build an experience that is like none other. It is built off of the principles of Home Depot that that Dick Sullivan and Arthur Blank established. It is built off of inspiring customers. It is built off of ensuring that there's an incredible experience with 14 hitting bays and simulators where not only can you get custom fit, but you can watch ball flight. You can come play golf when it's snowing on the ground, you know, outside, and and there's there's two feet of snow on the ground. Uh, You know, you can putt on a 2,000-square-foot putting green. You can literally bring your lunch in. Come hang out over your lunch hour. Do whatever you want. Come all day on Saturday and just hang out. Have fun. Enjoy the store. That's what that's what this business is built off of. And besides having a great brand on our front door, uh, you know, Arthur and Dick have built an experience in golf retailer that in golf retail that is second to none. It's Disney World for golfers and no other golf retailer on the planet has done what this brand has done. And I think that that's what we continue to focus on how can we build a better experience? How can we keep innovating? Um, and how can we have that dominant, inspiring environment uh, for golfers and tennis players, because most of our stores have tennis in them too, to come into and really, really enjoy? Uh, and so it's not one specific fix or tweak, Chris. It's a lot of little iterations that we continue to build off of to build that experience into something that's really special. We don't just want to be a golf store. We want to be a place where people come and just hang out and and can be inspired to participate more in the game. Frankly, we have people coming into our stores that love the apparel. They're just they just want to buy the the lifestyle apparel that we have because their workplace is a little bit uh you know, less conservative and uh they can shop for anything they need from a lifestyle standpoint. Um, uh, with uh, with our huge apparel selection, so it's fun. Ah, no doubt, great stuff, uh, Matt. Be, uh, beyond the desire, obviously, for uh, to see Dustin Johnson win. Give us your prediction for who else you might think uh, is going to be on the top of the leaderboard uh, this weekend in the U.S. Open. Yeah, obviously, rooting for DJ for sure. You know, um, uh, let, let's just put it this way: I hope that on Sunday. It's competitive. I hope that we don't see somebody who's leading by eight strokes. I hope that we see um, a combination of the younger and the older generation battling it out. How great would it be to see Ricky Fowler and Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson and Jordan Spieth, you know, maybe, I mean, it'd be great to see Tiger play well. But, I mean, it, 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 I, we, 
golfers just want to see competitive golf. They want to see uh, what we saw at the Players Championship. You know, they want to see that that last minute surge um, because that's what everybody dreams about. No matter what your sport, it's like what's you know what what happened with the the NBA Finals. It was back and forth, and so um, you know th- that's what fans of this sport want to see. And they want to see a dog fight at the end, and hopefully that's what will happen on Sunday. Matt, remind our listeners how they can follow both you and the PGA Tour Superstore, uh, both online and over social media. Yeah, just real easy. PGATourSuperstore.com is our website. Um, you know, that's where that's where everything happens for us. It's a, a terrific website. It's growing uh, online. Um, you can go on Twitter. It's at P-G-A-T-S-S, like stands for PGA Tour Superstore. So at P-G-A-T-S-S, uh, and uh, they can follow all the, the, the happenings and going-ons, the great deals and promotions that we have, and, and just fun. You know, we cover a lot of fun news and fun happenings in the world of golf. Um, and certainly for your audience, Chris, shout-out to, to all the, the great folks that serve our country, uh, all the, the military. Um, we cannot thank them enough. Uh, for everything that they do every day, and hopefully they're going to enjoy a great Father's Day weekend. There you go, Matt. Thank you for that. And thanks for uh, for being a part of the show. Thanks to you, and thanks to Lynn for arranging for you and Dick uh, to both join me on this show. It's been great having both of you guys as part of the show and you as part of the show today. I hope you'll come back and do it again sometime because we'd love to continue to hear how things are going at the PGA Tour Superstore, plus what you guys have coming up that uh, we need uh, to both get in our bags and get into your stores to try out the great stuff. And thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, Matt, take care. All the best to you and everyone over at the PGA Tour Superstore. Say hello to Dick for me as well. You got it. Thanks, Chris. All right, take care, Matt. That was Matt Corey, Chief Marketing Officer for the PGA Tour Superstore. You can find them, as he said, online at PGATourSuperstore.com and following them on Twitter at PGATSS. I'm telling you, folks, when you go into one of their stores, if you love golf, you you can easily spend hours in there from time hitting clubs and their simulators, testing them all out, to going over to the putting green and stroking some putts and just wandering around. He talked about, you know, looking at the apparel, wandering around the store. So much great stuff in there to see. And uh, if you go there to get something for dad for tomorrow for Father's Day, whatever you get him, you're going to put a smile on his face for many years to come. So go there and check it out. All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this one before we go. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at GolfBalls.com. You know, so many great ideas on the show today to get that for Father's Day, last-minute stuff. If you haven't figured out what you want to get that yet, give another option. Go over and check out things at GolfBalls.com. You can get Dad's name or initials or his favorite saying, printed on his favorite band of golf balls or on some tees, or how about a personalized hat or a towel? Make Dad's Day special tomorrow all sorts of great ideas you've heard today on the show. Make it memorable for them. Another option is personalized golf items from our friends over at golfballs.com. Golfballs.com is the online leader in golf customization. But before also we close up shop today, I want to remind you once again about the great book from our friends Dave Stockton and Dave Stockton Jr. called Own Your Own Game. If you started getting out there, I'm you know, out there this weekend, I'm planning the uh, member guest with my father. You know, golf season is well underway. We're into our second major through, you know, through this golf season. But remember, 
the majority of you know the game is uh, unfortunately played between the five inch space between our ears so get your mind right in this latest book the stockton's lets you know how to use your mind to play winning golf own your game recreates the experience of riding 18 holes with dave stockton at one of his highly sought after corporate outings and draws from his experience as a champion on both the regular tour and the champion tour plus as a revered coach he shows you how to do things like think better stay calmer, execute more consistently, which ultimately leads to enjoying the game more thoroughly. Go to StocktonGolf.com to get your copy, and for a few extra dollars, just Stockton will even autograph it for you. All right, everybody, my sincere thanks one more time to Scott Felix, Matt Corey, Sean McKeel for being such great guests and making today's show so much fun to be a part of. And we thank you for tuning in. You know, we appreciate you the very most. Please also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari, our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio and on Armed Forces Radio as well. Plus, you can also catch it replayed on Friday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on BoostRadioNetwork.com. That show, like this one, is also available on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Player.fm, and SoundCloud as well. Every week on Thursday night, Tailgate, we are joined by members of the NFL Alumni Association, plus, plus legends from the CFL as well. Please also check out both shows on Facebook. Give us a like. That's important to us, too. You can find us online, this show, next on the T.net and ThursdayNightTailgate.com. For either show, you can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free, plus keep up to date with who some of our future guests are going to be by going to either site online. Next on the T.net, ThursdayNightTailgate.com. All right, folks, thank you again for making the choice, for choosing to listen to this show today. We appreciate you the very most. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. Great things are happening at your friendly neighborhood Safeway. Stop by and see all the things that make a supermarket just better. Like new low everyday prices on family favorites. Shop with your club card and pick up bananas for an incredible 48 cents a pound. And for an easy, delicious dinner, get whole roasted chicken for only $4.98. Bigger selections, friendlier smiles, lower prices. Safeway, it's just better. Great things are happening at your friendly neighborhood Safeway. Stop by and see all the things that make a supermarket just better. Like new low everyday prices on family favorites. Shop with your club card and pick up bananas for an incredible 48 cents a pound. And for an easy, delicious dinner, get whole roasted chicken for only $4.98. Bigger selections, friendlier smiles, lower prices. Safeway, it's just better.